Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Church. It's good to see everyone. And if you're online, say hello. It's starting to feel that time of year. How do you guys like the time of the fall in Arizona? The, the few short weeks we get to wear long sleeves, right? Yes, I think fall is, is, is upon us. Thank the Lord. Grateful for... We live in a great state, a great city. So, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. Hebrews, chapter 8. We are going through this wonderful letter, this wonderful, basically, a sermon. Now, if I had to preach all of Hebrews in one sitting, it would be, <laughs> would be for a while. So. <laughs> And if you, uh, if you have a chance to, to read your scriptures out loud, do that. You'll, you'll be blessed by it. But Hebrews chapter 8. The book of Hebrews, of course, is a letter, a sermon written to a discouraged group of uh, Jewish believers who were thinking about turning away from Jesus and going back to Judaism. And, and the whole letter is designed to, to showcase the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is the best option. Once you get Christ, you get nothing better, right? And he's in the section of the letter where he's describing Jesus as a better priest, which was how you would approach God through a priest. They were used to that because they had to offer sacrifices. And uh, Jesus is a better priest. And now he's going to change the thrust now to say Jesus has a better covenant to offer. I'm going to try to go through the entire chapter. My focus is going to be from verse 6 on, though. So I'm going to get a running start with verse 1. Now, <clears throat> the main point in what is being said is this. We have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. First of all, priests did not sit down. There was no seats in the tabernacle, no seats in the temple. Their, their work continually went on and on and on. In fact, chapter 9, verse, uh, I lost my place here, Chap, uh, chapter 10, rather, describes how they were constantly offering sacrifices. They didn't sit down. It was, it was, you kept going. But Jesus' sacrifice was so sufficient that he just did it one time for all of eternity. It was that efficacious and that uh, effective that he was able to sit down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty, which is another name of describing God, the majesty on heaven, is God himself. That Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now, which is a position of, of, of prestige, of honor, of power, of royalty. Sitting down speaks of the fact that he has completed the work of atonement. This is going to be key in this chapter because... This allows the new covenant, which we'll talk about to, to, uh, uh, for his effectiveness. The fact that he has sat down, having completed the sacrifice for our sins one time for our past, present, and future sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. Verse 2, a minister in the holy places and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not meant man. In one sense, Jesus Christ's work was completed on the cross. He said, it is finished. He sits down, having completed his work of redemption, having completed the work of cleansing for our sins. But on another part, his work continues in ministering. Amen? 
his work of ministering is now a di- is is now of ministering. Um, well, let me just back up here. The priests in the Old Testament they would offer sacrifices and gifts as well. Sacrifices were sacrifices with blood, right, uh, to atone for sin. But then they also offered gifts to God. Uh, um, these were often thank you offerings and and gifts of dedication. And what Jesus is doing now is offering to the Father the saints' gifts of dedication, our prayers offered to the Father, our commitments offered to the Father. He is praying for us, as it says in the previous chapter, but now he's also ministering on our behalf to the Father. His, his ministry continues. Verse 3, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. I just talked about that. I went ahead of myself. That's okay. So it is, not, so it is necessary that this high priest have something to offer. Now... If he were on earth, he would not be priest at all. Why? Because he's from the wrong tribe. He's from the tribe of Judah. Whereas if you got to be a priest, you got to be a son of Aaron, a Levite. And since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, they offer the blood sacrifices, the meal offerings, that kind of thing, and they serve a copy, verse 5, and shadow of the heavenly things. In other words, what they serve in the tabernacle was just a shadow of what is really going on in heaven. And he's trying to say is, why would you want to turn back to worship or to serve the shadow when the reality of Christ has already come? Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the, tabern- uh, erect the tabernacle, where he says, see, that, he, that you make all things according to the pattern which was showing you on the mountain. That's Exodus 25, uh, 40. In fact, Moses was showing all kinds of things. He says, make sure you, this, what you see in this image I'm showing to you in, uh, from heavenly things, when you build that earth, make sure you follow the same pattern. Now it's going to fall short of the glory of that. T- but the things that Moses did was well-designed, very structured. Everything was laid out the way it was supposed to be laid out. It was called organized religion, which people don't like today, but it was very organized by God because it was a way of describing how you have access to God and how to worship Him. Verse 6. Now, this is where I really want to start here in verse 6. But now, and I'm going to read through, then I'm going to show you my points, okay? But now, He has obtained a more excellent ministry. More excellent than the Levites who served earthly temples, shadow of things, etc., etc., by as much as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. That's actually a summary statement because the rest of what follows describes and defines that. Verse 7 For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, Days are coming, says the Lord, when I will complete a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and upon their hearts I will write them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, No, Lord, for all will know me, 
from the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old that is ready to disappear. Okay, I got four, four major points, and I pray that I can make it through, so <laughs> bear with me. We're going to begin for, for, a, for, a, for, for a, a wonderful ride here. First of all, we have the pre- preeminence of the new covenant. Remember, he says he has now given us, he has now given him a more excellent ministry, okay? We're going to learn what that is because this is important. I'll define this and describe it. First one, verse 6 is the preeminence of the new covenant. Second point will be the problem of the old covenant, and that's in verses 7 to 9, okay? The problem of the old covenant, verses 7 to 9. And third, the promise, the promises of the new covenant in verses 10 through 12. And then my fourth point will be some practical lessons about the new covenant, okay? So let's pray that the Lord guides us through, okay? But now, he says, of course, in verse 6, this preeminence of the new covenant, but now we're, we're to contrast, they serve the, sh- serve the shadows, but not the substance. They served in the earthly tent, not in the heavenly tabernacle. These things in the Old Testament pointed to Christ. They patterned things that pointed to Christ and to what his ministry would, would be about, so now his ministry is a more excellent ministry. It's of a different category, the word means. It means of a more outstanding category than the ministry that they had. Sar- far surpasses the ministry of the Levitical priest. He is the mediator. Look at verse 6. Look at verse, it says he is also, in verse 6, the mediator of a better covenant. Mediator, we've seen this before, was a person who went between two different people to bring peace to them, to bring reconciliation, to bring some sort of agreement, okay? And sometimes the mediator also took responsibility for the debt of the people he represented. Jesus Christ, as Paul says, that Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the, the man Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus represents God, and he represents man. And the fact that he's our mediator means that he takes the responsibility of our debt on his shoulders, okay? He is a better mediator. He's of a superior, higher status, more powerful mediator, better, uh, of a better covenant. Now, what's a covenant? I'm using big words now. What's a covenant? Basically, a covenant is an agreement, between two parties. It's like a contract, but in, in biblical terms, a covenant is usually between a God and a people, right? And usually, in the word in, in Greek is diatheke, okay? It's the word testament, right? New Testament, diatheke. And that describes between two parties, one that's superior than the other. If you want to describe Parties that were of equal status, it would be a different word. Sumtheke would be the word, okay? So a covenant is this agreement that defines their relationship. So this is key because what he's going to say here is this. You either relate to God on one or two categories of relationship. You're going to relate to God on an old covenant relationship status, or you're going to relate to God on a new covenant status relationship. Okay, that's going to define. Your understanding of that will affect your walk uh, with the Lord as well. It's the basis for relationship, how God relates to you and how, God, how you relate to God. Now, there were different covenants in the Old Testament. I'm not going to go through all of that. I can, 
I used to teach Old Testament, and so I had a whole course with just teaching. <laughs> and I'm tempted to go really, really, really deep, but I won't. But there's real quickly, you had five or six covenants in the Old Testament. Uh, you had a covenant between God and Adam. It's not really, it doesn't say covenant there, but it has the same things there. Basically, Adam, uh, if you eat of the tree, there's curses. If you don't eat of the tree, there's blessing, right? And we know what happened. You have a covenant after the flood. God makes a, a covenant with Noah and with animals as well, saying, I promise not to flood the earth. It's a worldwide flood because there's been a lot of local floods. And, you know, but the, the, the rainbow is a, is a sign that that's a covenant. And God says, I, will not do, I, will, I promise I'm not going to flood the earth. Now, some covenants are conditional and some are unconditional. That's unconditional. And it's God himself saying, I will do this or I won't do that, right? Uh, another covenant would be um, the Abrahamic covenant. Now, that covenant is a covenant that describes all of Scripture. It's a covenant that was unconditional. And God says to Abram in Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, 15, other places, okay? I'm going to make you... I'm going to give you children, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to make you a blessing. And the rest of Scripture really is the fulfillment of that covenant. And it's God saying, I am going to do these things, Abram. Now, Abram was, he lived in what's known as modern-day Iraq, and he wasn't a God follower. But God said, Abram, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do something through you and your family. Later on, he'll develop, further develop that Abrahamic covenant with David. He'll say, David, who, has, who is a son of Abraham, I'm going to make one of your sons a king forever, he says in 2 Samuel 7. In fact, look, okay, can I, can I go off scripture? Go to Matthew 1, Matthew 1. Maybe we'll do a sermon Bible study thing, okay? Let's do that. So, how many of you guys like, turn, like, to, like to dig into the scripture? All of us, right? So, Matthew, look how Matthew 1 starts. Matthew 1, 1. And I, I, yeah, whatever. Just, we're having fun. Matthew 1, 1. Look at how it starts. He says, let me get to it. I know what it says, but I just want to read it. So Matthew 1, 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you were a Jewish person and you heard those words, you'd be like, ding, 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 long-awaited covenant of David, and the fulfillment of the, uh, the promise to Abraham. Wow, okay? That's another covenant. We'll go back to Hebrews. But then, of course, you have the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which is called the law. Now, this is different. So far, the other covenants, except for uh, with Adam, have been unconditional. God saying, I will do certain things. But here in the Mosaic Covenant, which is called the law, which is the covenant that the Hebrew writer is then alluding to, talking about, look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to offer a second. He's alluding to this covenant. I'll describe the Mosaic Covenant, which we call the law, was a conditional covenant made with Israel. Made with Israel. In fact... Okay, I'm going to go off script again. Look at verse <laughs> look at, look at verse 8. Do you see something here? Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. 
he says, when I make an, when I, I will comp- behold, there's, these are coming, says the Lord, when I will complete a new covenant with who? With who? House Israel and house of what? Okay, now, I haven't got this far in the, t- so apologies for, for getting off script, but here's what happens. This was a word given to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, when he spoke these words, the nations were divided. The nation of Israel was divided. In fact, Israel, the ten tribes were gone. They went to, the Syrians took them and everything else. And now he's living in the sort of la- the days before the Babylonians come. He said, hey guys, the Babylonians are coming. Let's get ready. And, you know, and, and, and God says, it's going to be some time. You're going to be away. And the false prophet says, no, it's not going to be a long time. But he's, he's prophesying the... Uh, the, the destruction of Jerusalem's coming, the Babylonians are coming, but in the midst of all this warning, God gives, you, gives him this promise. Now, it's interesting when he says, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, that alludes to something that God will do in the future of bringing the two together. In other words, the two were divided. So when God says this, it's going to be a new covenant also given to Israel and Judah, reconciled. Okay, that's the side note. Let's go back, okay? You guys with me so far? All right, all right. So where did I go? I'm in Mo- okay, Mosaic Covenant. So here's what it is. God rescues Israel from Egypt, brings them out, and he says, now, I've rescued you guys. Now let's have a covenant. I'm gonna, let's, we're going to define this covenant. The nature of our relationship is this. I will be your God, you'll be my people. I'm bringing you to the land, and you, if you obey what I say in the law, I will bless you. I'll give you fresh, I'll give you, make your plants grow and your sheep to reproduce and all kinds of stuff, right? But if you disobey, there'll be curses. And they said, okay, that sounds good to us. In fact, go to Exodus chapter 24. This is important, okay? This is important because we're looking at the different covenants, and this is important for for the reason for the replacement of or the the new covenant to come, um, Exodus 24, they hear the terms of God and they confirm this covenant. They they ratify this covenant. And uh, in verse three, Moses comes to uh, in Exodus 24 verse three. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of Yahweh the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said what? This They said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, what? We will do. Now, this is key. Old covenant, the weight of responsibility was on man. God, you give us laws, and we will do it. Okay? Uh, We're going to obey you. Now, what's interesting, not... He says, he repeats this in other parts as well, but not long after this commitment to God, not even a week goes by and they rebel against God. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, Israel is constantly, they're following God and then they're forgetting God. They're following God and they're forgetting God. And you look at the whole, and, there's, and God is doing, he's sending prophets, he's, sending, he's, like, he's trying to woo them back. They seem to get sidetracked with other gods. They're, they're kind of like, you know, all over the place. You read the book of Judges. You read, and there was a constant cycle of, the, of unfaithfulness of Israel. They could not keep the demands of the law. Though they said, we will do this. 
Now, some of us relate to God based on our promises. That won't get you that far. That won't get you that far. Okay. And then, of course, there's the new covenant, which we will describe later on in Hebrews 8. Now, preeminence of the new covenant is this. Is that it's not going to rely on the we will do it. The preeminence of the new covenant is that it relies on God doing it. There's a key there. There's a, there's a key. Because if you approach God with always relying on you fulfilling some, some standard or, and trying harder, you'll fall short every single time. If, it's, if, it's, if the foundation and basis of your relationship with God is on you trying harder or you living up to a certain standard, you will fail all the time. Now, the, the, the old covenant is necessary, but let's just keep in mind the two difference, right? Look what he says here. In fact, um, well, he says that, he says, it's not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, but I will put my laws, I will put change their hearts, I will be their God, etc., etc. God says, I'm taking responsibility on myself. Now, this is important. The writer of Hebrews says, this cannot be possible, listen, this cannot be possible if Christ did not take care of, of sin, of the old covenant's demands, okay? We'll look at that thing. Now, what's the, what was wrong with the old covenant? Because it's still scripture. By the way, the Old Testament's still scripture. By the way, most of what you read in the New Testament is Old Testament, or is New Testament, most of what you read, a, a high percentage of what you read in the New Testament is actually Old Testament. In fact, in Hebrews, this letter we're reading right now, 69% of this letter, or 63 or 62% of this letter is Old Testament quotes. So there is no, oh, Old Testament, get rid of that, just use New, no, you understand. It's one story, one course, of, it's like it's all woven together, but Christ is now the answer to this, Right? And so things in the Old Testament point to Christ. In fact, the Ten Commandments reveal the heart of God. The law reveals the, the, the character of God as well. Now, what were the problems of the Old Covenant? This is, verse, this is my second point, the problems of the Old Covenant, verses 7 through 9. Watch this, verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them. Now, notice how he changed there? With, for if the first had been faultless, but then he says, finding fault with them? What's, what's going on there? Okay, the law was good. Paul even says the law is good, right? But the law, of course, I think was designed by God to be temporary. It had a job to do, right? And one of the things that the law was, it couldn't effectively deal with sin. Watch this. The, the, the Old Testament covenant could not effectively deal with sin. It didn't deal with the sin, proper, uh, the sin problem effectively. That's why there was sacrifices constantly. Constantly. It's a bloody affair. Every week, every day, every year, to constantly do the sacrifices. Why? Because the sin really is not atoned for. Because you're offering goats and, or bulls and, and lambs. You're just, you're just sort of just maintaining but you're not swimming. You're kind of just, you know. In fact, look at Hebrews 10, verse 1. He says, 
For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer year, continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. So it was, it couldn't deal with sin effectively. It, it held a place until Christ came. That's why Jesus is able to sit, in the, uh, sit down. That's why the temple was destroyed. No need for the temple anymore. The law could not even, in fact, all the law could do is remind you of how guilty you are. It, could, it, just, it, 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 it couldn't even justify you before God. If you want to go and be, try to be justified before God by, uh, by you obeying commandments, and then you're falling short, you're always remembering or being reminded of those failures, right? That's a, that's a heavy burden to bear. I didn't live up to this level, God. Well, if you're living on that basis, you'll always feel guilty. You'll always feel condemned. You'll never measure up. I'll try harder. No. That's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point. Romans uh, 3.20 says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. Ah, the law is good, Paul says, because it tells me I'm a sinner. He says, Why the law then? Is the law sin? Not, may it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. It gave me the standard, and I broke it, and I realized, oh, I'm a sinner, and that's what the law did. But it doesn't deal with sin. It points it out. It doesn't cleanse it. It reminds and reveals our sin and our inabilities the Old Covenant, the law, also did something else. Not only did it not deal with sin effectively, it also kept people away from God. Watch this. The tabernacle set up. The temple set up. There's a place where only one person, the Holy of Holies, can go in once a year for a brief period of time. There is, you couldn't just go walking into God's presence. That, that's not access. That is... That's, that's, that's shutting doors right there. You don't have access to God. It prevented you from going, like we have as Christians, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you actually, when you pray, you go into the throne room of God in heaven, the very throne before Father God in heaven, and he's all ears, and you're allowed to be there. You belong to be there because of Jesus Christ. In the old covenant, mm -mm. you got to be a priest. You got to be the high priest. And you're still a sinner as a high priest. And you couldn't go out and hang out with God in, in, the, in the Holy of Holies. You couldn't sit there and just hang out all day. No, you were there off your things and just got out once a year. That was it. It limits you on, on access to God. In fact, people who live on this basis, on what they can do, they never feel close to God, do they? They never feel closeness with the Lord because they're always reminded of their sin and their inabilities, and, 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 and God's sort of closed off to them. So it keeps people away from God. In fact, I will add to this, the Old Covenant doesn't fully reveal the nature of God. It, it teaches a lot, but, but 
it's limited on what, in fact, look at Hebrews 1. Look at what Hebrews 1 does. First verse. God, having spoken long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways. In other words, stop right there. God has spoken to us in the Old Testament. Old Testament law, prophets, et cetera, et cetera, right? And we learn about the God. I, I, I love the old, I mean, I learn a lot about the Lord, but it's imperfect in this revelation of God because then he says, but now in these last days, he's spoken to us in the Son. Jesus Christ now is now the, the more, um, the most clear revelation of God that we can get is through Jesus Christ. So he's telling the, the, the listeners in Hebrews, he's not going, don't go back to that. That's all shadow. You're looking in the dark. You're kind of you're going to see God in the earth. But Jesus Christ, now, now you're looking at God face to face. Old Covenant was inadequate to, re, to reveal that, to reveal the full knowledge of God. And finally, the Old Covenant couldn't even change you. You, you can't be changed by the Mosaic Law. It's inadequate to change a person's heart. Everything in the law was external. Yes, you memorize scripture, you bury the, you, you, you do what, you, you, you took the God's word and buried it in your heart. You did all that, right? But there's a difference between you memorizing scripture and God putting his fingerprint on you directly, which we'll see in the New Testament, right? Everything was external. The law was inadequate it was powerless to change a person. It's good, but it was insufficient. Now, it revealed your sin, which is what its job was to do. It was, its job was to reveal that you and I are a sinner and our need for Jesus Christ. You were supposed to come to a place where like, I give up. <laughs> I'm trying even harder. I've tried. I remember I was working at a place years ago before I met my wife. And there's a, there's a lady... Uh, I'm working with a little lady, and she's, uh, turns out she's a Seventh-day Adventist, and she is a legalistic person who's trying to earn salvation by, by, by following, and it never dawned on her that all of that was to bring her to the end of herself and say, I'm in desperate need, because I, I need God. I need a Savior. And Paul says that. That's what the law was our tutor to point us to Christ, to say, I need salvation. And you can't understand the grace of God without understanding the enormity of your sin before God, right? Amen? The old covenant could not change a person's heart. It could not transform a person. It was outwardly motivational, but not inwardly effective. It measured or depended on man's ability. We will do this. I will do this. I will try harder to measure up God. That's what the statement says. But it never does something, it never takes care of the sin problem. It's holy, as Paul, as Paul says, it's holy, the commandment is holy, it's righteous, it's good, but it's weakened by our flesh. The problem was not the law, the problem is that it was us, right? Amen? It brought death, not life. It brought demands, but no help in meeting those demands. It's like a mirror that reveals your imperfections, but it doesn't give you help to do something with those. Now, it's designed to bring you to the end of yourself. It's designed to point you to Christ. 
It's designed to say, forgive me, woe is me, be merciful to me, a sinner, rather than how, look how I measure up, God. That's why the promise, that's the third point, the promise of the new covenant, the promises, I'm going to say, of the new covenant, verses 10 through 12, are wonderful. Look at, uh, did I read verse 8 and 9? Yeah, I did, didn't I? Okay, hey, we're, we're doing good. I could slow down. Take an intermission break. <laughs> Are you guys following so far? Okay. And this is this is I mean, this is deep stuff here. This this will but but if you get if you get this, this will change your life. This will change your life. First of all, what is the new covenant? Okay, we just read promise from, in Jerem- this is a quote right here, these, these uh, verses 8 to, to 12 is a quote from Jeremiah 31. It's, it's described as a new covenant. It's also described as an everlasting covenant by Isaiah. Isaiah also has in Isaiah 55, 3. It's described as a covenant of peace by Ezekiel, okay, different ways. But the new covenant is what we get. The new covenant is a way of describing the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God, uh, God tells, um, or Moses uh, tells the people about God circumcising their heart with, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul describes a person who is their heart circumcised, uh, who's a true Jew, because they have, uh, they have been circumcised of their heart by the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus says that in John six thirty three, it is the Spirit that gives life; the flesh profits nothing. Now, the one side, the old covenant, relies on the flesh. I will try harder. We will do this, God. It's a rely on our own strength and flesh to measure up. But the new covenant, it's the Spirit of God doing something within you. Amen? All right. The law depends and relies on the flesh, and, but the grace of the new covenant depends on the Holy Spirit. Now, what were the things that were promised? What's the things that were promised by the new covenant? There's three things right here. And I'll end with this here. First of all, a new nature. Watch this. Look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in, into their minds and, I will, and upon their hearts I will write them. God is going to do something new to the person. Whereas before it was I, now it's I will do something. It's initiated by God himself of the work of transformation. The, if you look at verse 8, where he says, when I will complete a new covenant. You see that in verse 8? The word new is, is the word kainos. It points to a fundamentally new character and new nature of the new covenant. It's something brand new. That's why Jesus tells Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. The Spirit of God has to do something to you and in you. Okay? It speaks of what God's going to do, this new nature that God will do. I will put my laws, I will write them, I will be their God, etc., etc. Instead of you saying, I will do it, it's like the Lord says, I'm going to do something in your life. That's a, that's a work of grace. He will change how you think. Look what he says. I will put my laws in their minds. I will change how you think. 
An unbeliever cannot think like a believer because he doesn't have the Spirit of God working in their minds. Now, obviously, we still have the flesh to deal with, right? We still have those ne- some of those, those negative thoughts that are contrary to what the Spirit of God is with us. And so there's this, who are going to listen to? That's why he says renew your mind. That's why you have to pay attention to the thoughts that come in you, right? Because they're not all from God. But then you are able to discern, oh, that's, there's something wrong here. That's the Spirit of God working within you. He says, I will put my laws within your mind. There's a constant remembrance. The Holy Spirit brings things to your mind. He speaks, he changes how you think. It's not you externally doing it. It's God doing something within you. He will transform your heart. The old covenant says you will change you. You will try to change yourself. But now God will change your heart. Look at Ezekiel 36. Can you go to your left? Go to the book of Ezekiel Ezekiel 36, he's, um, it's on page 1167 in my Bible, but it doesn't help you guys out. <laughs> Ezekiel 36. And I'm just going to look at verse 26 here. Um, actually, verse 25, because I want to add, verse 25. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, you guys there? All right. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. It's interesting. The order is significant. Cleansing of sin first. Christ does that, right? But look at verse, verse 26. Then, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There's a transformation that God does. Before it's external. Now it's internal. The difference now is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Do you realize, listen, listen, this, catch this. When Jesus describes the Spirit of God living within you, he's there right now. Don't think of the, the Spirit of God is in the world as well, but if you were indwelt by the Spirit of, of, of the, the Holy Spirit, don't think of it just in heaven far, far away, but He is an ever-present. The Spirit of God who indwells this tabernacle, that, if you're a believer in Christ, you are the tabernacle Have you, have you stopped to think about that? That God Almighty, through however He does it, is indwelling believers. And not just partially. That's why when you're reading Scripture or you're praying or you're meditating on, on the Word of God or you're seeking God for wisdom, you allow him to speak through his word. He gives you thoughts and insights that are from him, right? He's not silent. And he didn't just give us, oh, I'll just give you my pinky finger to indwell you. All of him is indwelling you if you're a believer in Christ. 
I don't know how that works. I don't know how that, I can't imagine how, but somehow, some way, instead of indwelling a tabernacle made with porpoise skins, he's indwelling us. That's part of the new covenant. This promise that they've longed to look into, longed to understand what that's like. No longer is there a veil hiding you from God. Now he's indwelling the believer. Right? Which means he's always there to help you. Which means he's always there to instruct you, right? You know how it is when you hear something that's off teaching-wise, right? There's a check in your spirit that says, hmm, something's not right here. That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. When he's speaking you words of encouragement and kindness, and his, sometimes his voice is ever so faint, but he's speaking those words, the more you latch on to what he says, the more you'll hear him. I'm not going off the rails here. I'm speaking, this is, this is Bible truth here, right? This is one of the wonders of the New Testament. A new nature, you've got the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. That didn't happen by you trying and you trying harder. The, if the foundation of your relationship with God is you trying harder, you're going to be disappointed. But if the foundation of your relationship with God, with God is grace, is resting on the, the work that, that you couldn't do in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ took care of effectively. He sat down. The sin problem has been taken care of. We'll get to that in a second. But if your foundation with God is one of grace, that changes your whole life. It changes how you look at God and how you relate to God. It also changes how you deal with people as well. He changes your thinking. He changes your heart from the inside out. He gives you a new spirit to walk in your stat his statutes and his ways. You say, well, what was our old nature like? I'm just going to read from Titus that we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts, pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and despicable and hating one another, etc., etc., right? That was what we were, but now God has done something different. Now there's a change. Before there's a, we have to do this. Now it's a, I want to do this. The desires change as well. It's like, I want to express my gratitude to the Lord through my changed heart. So he changes your nature. I'm going to speed through uh, 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 just one more verse here. He says in Second Peter that we have begin, uh, we are partakers of a divine nature. So with this new nature, <coughs> back in Hebrews eight, you guys back there, or did I leave you in Ezekiel? Go back to Hebrews. Sorry, come on. They say when you're speaking, it's like driving. You're a drive, and you're the passenger. Which is, how many guys are always nervous when you're the passenger and you're not driving? Okay, <laughs> okay, let's just be real, right? When you're driving and you see a turn ahead, you know what to, you're kind of anticipating the turn and you slow down, you turn. If you're a passenger, oh, well, what happened there? Why you? You know, it's I ha as a speaker, I have to allow you guys to to stay with. It. So it's come to come to Hebrews. My point is, is I don't want to make a left turn so fast. You're like, whoa! I, anyway, <laughs> Ezekiel uh, Hebrews, right? Hebrews. So this new nature changes a person to lead to a new desires to love and obey God. Um, a, a new change from desires of have to do things to want to do things, to have to, to get to, because Christ is done, 
I receive his spirit. I, re- I, 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 um, I am, I'm graced with this Holy Spirit to, to bring that change. There's a difference of emphasis. The weight here is on me and man and myself and I, and the weight here is on God, what he does. Now, I, as an obedient person would, and who wants to follow the Lord, then have to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit in obedience, but following his leading. And that leading is coming from the Spirit of God that dwells the believer. There's a power also in the change to live righteously because now the Spirit of God is leading. He's the one that's bearing fruit in your life. He's making the change. He's changing your desires. He's changing your heart. He's bearing the fruit. He's, he's taking up headquarters in you and say, okay, now it's new. I'm going to do something. And so sometimes if you react out of the flesh, you might say, well, I, I'm, you say, Lord, help me to live by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to to be led by your spirit. Lord, bear fruit in my life. I remember I was re- re- meeting him with, my, um, with a mentor of mine, and he used to be kind of, he used to lash out at his wife, you know, and he was a believer, and he was like, Lord, I need to stop this. And so, can you bear fruit in my life? And so he would pray, Ephesians 5, the fruit of the spirit. He would pray that and, uh, and ask God to bear his fruit, and, and God changed his heart. He became more patient with her, more loving towards her, because he was asking the Holy Spirit to do what he does, right? And it was like, wow. And he became like, a, I mean, most people, most merciful guy I knew. Um, that was because the Holy Spirit was living powerly, uh, power, uh, powerfully through him. Okay, second point. I, I'm, uh, go back to Hebrews, Hebrews uh, 8, verse 11. Not only is there a new nature, there's also a, n- a new way of knowing God or more intimacy with God. Look at verse 11. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me. Knowing God, knowing his character, knowing his heart, there's a change there that we will know God intimately. Jesus said this in John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This also describes knowing God's ways, this describes no, uh, walking in God's ways as well. So it's not just a knowledge of God out there. It's now beginning to walk as God would have us walk in his ways. There's an, an intimacy with God there. And then thirdly, I'm just going to finish up with this. The third benefit or promise of the New, of the old new Covenant is a is a decisive break from our past sins. Look at verse 12. For I will be merciful to their iniquities. And then he describes how that mercy plays out. How is he merciful to our iniquities? I will remember their sins no more. Now, this means, now this, you have to catch this, okay? When Jesus Christ paid for your sin, which sin did he pay for? Past, present, future. All of your sins. Now just let that sink in. He didn't pay for your sins up until today, to the moment that until I do the next sin. No, he paid for them all. This issue, the the shortcomings of the, the Old Testament law where the sin was never really dealt with, 
he decisively deals with the sin problem, the sin issue. That's why he's able to sit at the right hand of the Father. So when you go to God as his child, you have to, if you rest in what Christ has done over here, and you come on the basis of the grace of God that has taken care of that for you, many of us have a hard time getting over our past sins. We still beat ourselves up over it. Just, now just think about the freedom if, if God says, no, I've taken care of all that. You're my child. I don't bring, I, here's the mercy I'm going to extend to you. I will what? Their sins no more? It doesn't say I will keep bringing it up to him or her. I will remember their sins no more. Even the sins you haven't even done yet. That's good news. That's not on God's mind. As a child of God, you're, yes, you, oh, obviously you're going to confess your sins and, and, and make sure, you're like, Lord, I, I, that's still, but it's, it's a different emphasis where you're trying to atone for your sin. You're, you're going to be busy trying to atone for your sin to, to I don't know what it means to the cows come home, but it's forever. And that has been dealt with. So now you have freedom in the new covenant. Forgiveness in the new covenant. Actual forgiveness. And if you have been carried the weight of sin, Christ is laid out at the cross. Now let's go on with life. Stop keep bringing ups up to me. Let's go on, child. I've taken care of that. Don't go back. I've forgotten it. I remember your sins no more. That's a choice of God. That's merciful. The enemy keeps bringing up your past, doesn't he? That's all he does is bring up your failures. That's all he has in his, his quiver. Accusations. Belittling condemnation. Okay, great. But Jesus Christ has paid for my sins. What do you do about that? Oh, the blood of Christ has covered that, has dealt with that. What do you do with that? Oh, do you see how that how that changes your how? If you understand the grace of God, how it's so much better. How does this relate to how we live life? Here's how it relates to. This is my fourth and final point, and I'm great, thankful for you guys for being gracious. I'm going a little long today, but I was able to cover a whole chapter. Okay. So bless the Lord. <laughs> there is a God in heaven because I could have been stuck in verse 1. This new covenant is more impactful. It changes lives. It leads, it leads us to not insecurity before God, but security before God, assurance before God. It leads us to realize that God is not only our father, but our friend. In one sense, that Abraham was the friend of God. He's still God. I don't want to believe, I mean, he's our God. But there's this welcoming of the believer, the child of God, to come, right, into his presence. I want to be Jesus' friend. I don't know about you. I want, I want, I want, I want to be his, I want him to be, he's still my Lord. So I'm not going to, you know, let's just keep that, in, let's always keep that in mind. He's also, I mean, we're his spouse. In one sense, the church is the bride of Christ. There's always different ways of describing, but there's a, a welcoming to the believer. 
a loving father and friend rather than a, a judge and lawgiver, which if you're not a believer in Christ, that's where you're at. Real quick, two things about how this affects, how the new covenant affects our life. Practical things. One, grace then becomes the basis of relationships. Paul says in all his letters, almost all his letters, he says, grace and peace, right? He starts and ends with, with grace. You come saying, yeah, I don't deserve that. I'm welcome. I'm, I'm accepting what Christ has done because he's been gracious to me. If you realize the grace of God, that's how you grow. And what happens, though, is that your relationship is not based on we will do, but what he's done. And you shift over here, then you walk in having entered in the path that Christ has paved because of what he's done. He's made it, he's made it, made it clear. If grace rules our relationship, it also ought to relate, re, real, rule our relationship with people. If God has been gracious to you, we ought to be gracious with people, Right? If you receive the grace of God, it ought to change your life where it's like your relationship with people are more gracious. Right? Am I willing to extend the same grace that God has extended to me to others? Or am I still being very legalistic with those people and am I still being very judgmental and very con condemning Doesn't mean you call right, wrong or right, right. Obviously, it's like, but but how you treat people ought to extend the heart of God, the gracious heart of God, and everything He's done for you. Does that make sense? And secondly, if God, if the good, new, good news of the new covenant deals with the forgiving and forgetting of sin, right? I will remember their sins no more. The good news, if the good news that God has chosen to not remember my sins anymore, it ought to bring me freedom and delight and joy. Am I also willing to extend that to others as well? Or am I still trying to hold out for their punishment? You know? There's, there's a change of heart there. God's new covenant implies a covenant of reconciliation. It speaks, of course, as I said before, one house of Israel and Judah, of forgiveness and cleansing of sin, one of grace. You know that you've, you've understood the new covenant if it changes how you deal, if how you approach God, understanding His grace, that he's, you're, his, you're His child, and how you deal with people. That, that says it all. Now, if you, you're just like, Lord, I have, I have room to work. God, I have, I, have, I, have, I have ways to go on perfecting that, but I want to grow in that. Then you're in a good place, right? Lord, I realize that I, I'm not the best husband, right? I, I'm, not, not my, I'm not the best dad. I'm not the best pastor, right? I want, I, my prayer is, Lord, make me a better shepherd, a better dad, a better husband, a better follower of you, Jesus. 
because I want to grow in that. I want you to live your life through me perfectly. When I fail with my loved ones and not be gracious with them, Lord, help me to seek their forgiveness and also help me to rely on your Holy Spirit to, to live his life th- through me, right? That desire to grow in that is there. Oh, that's evidence. It's all because of the grace of God. And that's what the Hebrew writer is saying. Why would you want to go back to the old when the new is so much better? Amen? Amen. You guys have been gracious. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you that you have given us a new way, the new covenant, a covenant based on grace and not, not law, not the flesh, but one that is empowered by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, that so many of us here in this room are, are believers and you have transformed our lives. And we're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you have dealt with the sin problem, with sin decisively, for our sins were entirely cleansed, atoned for, paid for. And now, because we as believers, those of us who are believers, have the Spirit of God living in us, there is an enablement to walk in your ways and to know you. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone who may be here personally, physically, or watching online. If you don't know, if those people don't know you, Lord Jesus, would you draw them to know you? I pray, Lord, that you would bring salvation and realization of the utter need that people have need for you, God. Lord, I pray your your blessing uh, in our day today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why don't we stand up? I know I went long today, but guess what? Next week, chapter 9. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and I need to get a timer because I, I lose track of time and I have fun. So we're having fun. Anyway, so listen, before blessing, remember, uh, do not touch the chairs. They're having a recital in here, their first recital uh, since COVID. So God bless them. We praise the Lord that they are able to have recitals. But they asked us, hey, just leave the chairs. We'd love to. So wonderful, right? That's a bless. So, okay. All right. So, <laughs> Um, let me pronounce a blessing, and then uh, we'll go from there. Father, I just, uh, just want to praise you and thank you and, and bless uh, my brothers and sisters here with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Remember, this week, look forward for, we're going to do a Zoom meeting, a prayer Zoom meeting, uh, possibly midweek, maybe Wednesday or so. And then the following Thursday, I think we're going to have a couple's uh, get-together. And then today, if you guys want to do lunch, we can grab lunch and or just fellowship. So have a great, great Sunday. We'll see you guys next time.